I haven't seen Tanner in a minute. Dude, I haven't seen I haven't seen you in so long, dude. Uh, the last time I saw you was at your wedding. Dang. What? Dead serious. I have not seen you since your wedding. Bro, that was a year ago, almost. Why do I feel so bad about that? No, I, don't, I mean, I should feel equally as bad. God, that's but so like, saddening. One of us is in med school and one of us watches entirely too much Netflix, so... <laughs> you be the judge on who has the busier schedule. Tell me why the best things feel so wrong. Summer nights, love them how they take so long. All right, well, uh, welcome to episode seven of the Unprepared Podcast. Uh, today we have a special guest, and uh, this guy, I've known him for as long as memories really that matter. Uh, and I have a lot of good things to say about him, but I don't want to gas him up too much. So I'm going to try to balance it out. Mason can probably help, help me out with that with, you know, maybe some telling some embarrassing things about this guy. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Tanner Vines, welcome to the podcast. Thank you guys for having me. It's an honor to be a part of this uh, incredible podcast with two of my icons in my life. Shoot. Goodness gracious. Two of the, two of the smartest, big smartest people I know. Oh, shut up. I'm, we didn't gas you up. You don't have to do yeah. that. I'm the guest. I get to gas you up. Whatever. I think one of the reasons why I wanted to do this with Tanner was because he's just good at almost everything like i mean well i mean really with anything that has to do with technology or like um like media he basically just knows how to do it it's just it just comes naturally you know he's shaking his head right i thought you said we weren't gonna guess oh i'll bring you down don't worry about that okay can't wait you have a lot. You probably have a lot more of that ammo than you do the other. So I, I mean, I have I have quite a bit. We can start with it if you want. I was gonna add one of my questions. I was gonna ask you was what's well actually before I get into that, let's let's give a little bit for for people who don't know you. Um, Tanner is the worship leader at Gardner First Baptist Church, and that's kind of a um, that's a short title for a long list of responsibilities that he carries at that church. He does a lot. He does everything there pretty much. So, um, kind of elaborate on like what you do, um, kind of what your responsibilities are and how did you end up there? Yeah. So, um, my official title is associate of worship and communications. So it's a, it's a long title for, you do a lot of stuff and you don't master anything. Um, but I, it's really cool. It's actually the church I grew up in. Um, Story of our lives, Mason. <laughs> yeah, thanks. And so uh, I started I started leading worship in ninth grade. And Alex, that's kind of like where you and I's friendship began and blossomed. And that's like our story. And, um, and then I went to college at UAB. And then when I graduated, they made a full-time position, um, for me. So I do a lot of, I do a lot of worship leading on Sundays and Wednesdays and Thursday nights. Um, 
And then during the week, I'm doing a lot of the back-end stuff, website, graphic design, the fun stuff. I enjoy both of it, um, but it's really cool. Like, I, I studied business, and I use nothing of what I studied hmm. outside of, like, just learning how to work in teams and outside of, like, working or uh, learning how to deal with people. So that's the... You said you said that was a position they made for you. I mean, did I say yeah? Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, they, it did not exist, but they kind of merged a few different areas together, so that I had like I have multiple bosses. You, now I don't want you to like toot your own horn or anything, but was it something that your skill set was so wide that you fit many voids? Well, I think it was. We are we were notoriously a church with an older congregation. Um, a lot of the people on our platform on Sunday mornings were older, and if if they were to ever listen to this, I'm not calling you old. I'm just saying you are you're definitely like not. You know, we're trying to connect to all ages, senior adults to children, and so right. it was really an opportunity for um, our worship team to infuse a younger face, I lead from a guitar and they never had anybody lead from a guitar. So the, there was a large chunk of our, our members that it Which took a would, little bit to warm up. That, to me. that statement right there would be weird to a lot of like young churches or like people who attend a young church would hear that. And they're like, what? Like that would yeah. sound weird. You know like, what I mean? What is a worship leader without a guitar? Like, you know, right. Exactly. Cause it's <laughs> right. so like synonymous you know, today. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we. Uh, I was going to ask, what was your earliest memory of me and Mason? So I knew Mason before I knew Alex at, really? at Mount Olive. Yeah, bro, Motown. Oh, that's true. Motown. That's true. Okay, I forgot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we were we were both Panthers growing up, but you were a that's year right. older than I was. So my first memory of Mason is probably. Um, in elementary school or like crossed over at Moncrief ballpark playing ball, just kind of crossing past yeah. there. And then my first memory of Alex is, um, actually a mutual friend, Austin Clements. The first time you and I ever hung out was at Austin's house. I think he had like a birthday party or something. And, oh, okay. That would make sense. And like, that was the first time that, cause we went to different schools growing up. And then when we went to middle school, that's when I, met you so and then we didn't really uh i think when when we really became friends was when um like i started like well i started playing guitar when i was like 11 and then coincidentally a couple years after that you guys i guess i don't know if you needed or cared to have another guitarist but i wanted to play with you guys and, uh, and uh, so, like, I I started talking to you and, and Jason, and we started leading worship for the uh, for the students, and that was, like, some of the funnest times I've had. Dude, I, I remember, so, I, I remember, like, the first time we realized that you could play the guitar. And, you know, I was in, like, what, well, we were in ninth grade, tenth grade? Yeah, and I think it was ninth. 
and I was the youngest in the band at the time. They were all a few years older than I was. And I was like, yes, let's get Alex. He's another young guy, like, that'll help. And, you know, at the time, we thought we were going to be, like, the next Hillsong. So we wanted as many guitars as we could fit on that stage. But, yeah, that's after you, your first uh, Wednesday night, you brought, a, was it like a Line 6 amp? Oh, dude, yeah, it was, it was some, it, was, it sounded terrible. It, dude, it was awesome. awesome. But those are like some of the best <laughs> memories because it was so unproduced. It was, it, I knew maybe 15 words out of 150 on a song, but like those are my, some of my favorite <laughs> memories. And then yeah. Mason would occasionally be out in the crowd and give us the face like, what are these guys doing? No, that, that's not true. Being in a small town and all your best friends are in the worship band, that's like, they're rock stars, dude. Because everybody knows who you are. I thought that was tight. Man, how have you, um, how are you different now from when you first started, like, leading worship? How have you changed? Um, Probably the big thing is my temperament. Um, Growing up, uh, I was probably... A little hot-headed, just probably. <laughs> I was definitely yeah. hot-headed, <laughs> and I don't know like where it stemmed from. Um, but now, like, I don't. Jeez. Uh, well, yeah, you were like, I feel like, not to not to speak for you, but maybe just kind of, I feel like you were probably more affected by out outside influences more, you know people's opinions perhaps and other things affected you more back then and they don't really affect you much now yeah definitely I would I mean and that was a huge thing like it was you when you when I would lead worship for example like you would lead to try to prove something and the older I get the more I realize wow the what I do what I say and what I sing is the furthest thing than about me like that should be the least of my worries. So nowadays it's just like I'm I'm lucky if I sing a song correctly. But yeah. I, like I hope it's not because I hadn't prepared. I hope it's because that you just kind of get lost in the moment. And there's a there's yeah. a fine line between excellence and unpreparedness. But being on the unprepared podcast, like I think unprepared I like is that. okay. Sometimes. <laughs> That's what sure. we're all about, trying to figure out what it's how to balance being okay with being unprepared, you know. That's good stuff. Tanner, I got I got a question about some of that. With I don't even know how to, ha- how to ask it because I'm such a like a layman to this. But you spend a lot of time in front of crowds and on stages and that's not something that I'm comfortable doing at all. Week to week, how does it how does the feeling change for you when you go out in front of the crowd? Do, does that emotion change based on how you feel that day or is it just another one or is there like, how is that measured within you? So, um, a quick story to help kind of draw that point for me. Uh, the first time I ever led in front of our churchwide congregation. So we would lead in student services on Wednesday night and the occasional Sunday Mm -hmm. morning for students only. Well, one Wednesday night, it was like senior recognition for it's like the graduating seniors would get recognized and the student band got to play. And I remember um, 
my, How old I, were was, you? I was in ninth grade. Okay. And the rest of the guys were juniors. So, um, like Jacob Maynard and uh, Jason Guthrie, Zach Hardiman, Andrew Graber. I remember us sitting in, in the old South Campus at our church. Um, there's a green room. And I remember all of us sitting back there so nervous. Like, knees were shaking, hands were sweating. Jason was dry heaving in the in the bathroom all the whole time before. Like, And I just remember being a ninth grader thinking, does this ever go away? And our orchestra director, uh, Howard Everhart, who um, yeah. passed away a few years ago, like he's an incredible man, incredible influence in my life. Um, he looked at us and he said, I've been doing this for, you know, it was X amount of years, 20 something years, 30 something years. He says, I still get nervous, but I think that's a good thing. And so Shoot. that's always stuck with me from ninth grade on tonight, leading in front of a hundred and something college students. It's sure it's different than leading in a room of 1800, 1900 people on Sunday morning, but I still get nervous mm -hmm. because those are your friends. Those are people that you know, like what they're walking through, what they're dealing with. And so I think for me, the feeling of playing in front of people being nervous never goes away. But there's an element of comfort that is like, this is where I'm called to be. Even though I may not be comfortable, okay. it's where I'm called to be. So I have read from your calling. What what do you think is the cause of the nerves? Is it more the performance aspect of it or is it the pressure of trying to make an impact? I, I don't know if it's the pressure of trying to make an impact, but it's if you if you think about it, it's like you're not leading for man. You're not leading for yourself. You're leading for ultimately the creator. So mm -hmm. that's the pressure in itself. It's like you're leading a, a faulty person is leading in front of a faultless God. So it's like Sheesh. you carry, you know, he knows, he knows what you deal with on, on the inside and you know what you deal with on the inside. So you bring that in front of him and there, there's where your nerves come from. Hmm. Do you think yeah. part of your, um, dealing with the the nervousness in a more effective way was possibly having a better understanding of the fact that you're not really performing for God. You're not really performing for anybody else. It's not a performance at all. You're kind of more uh, fulfilling an obligation or a duty or maybe stepping into a role that you're just, you're blessed to have these gifts. And so you're simply doing you know, making good use of what God's given you, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say that's kind of when like the, the mentality and the mannerism shifted is when it's like, okay, this isn't a performance for, for man, for God, for this is not a performance. This is a, yeah. you know, if you enter the room humbly, humbly, then yeah. I think that's, that's when, you know, you're reminded like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, and the reason I use that 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 word performance is because it's it's one that you just knowing you I've known you such a long time and um, it's one that you've prayed like so many times when we're backstage before we go on to to play a set or even when we're not about to play it's just maybe it's like after a set or or whatever you just that's something that seems to be on your mind a lot of let this not be a performance. You know, it's kind of like you're meditating on the thought of, you know, let me go out there to serve and to not make this about myself 
you know, yeah. um, it seems like you're very intentional about doing that. Yeah. And I, I think most of that comes from, um, in the past, you know, even though you're on a platform, like the last thing you want for people in the room is to feel like you're on a platform. So like, if I could, like, if you could take away the stage and play on level ground, like, I don't know, I guess it's like, I'm a visual person. So when you walk into a room and there's a band elevated on the stage, in some people's mind, it's immediate that those people have a higher qualification to worship. Those people have a, uh, they're in a better position or they're better than I am to worship. And so like, I try to be very, very intentional and recognize when I feel myself recognizing, Hey, I'm on a platform. I'm elevated. I don't want to, I don't want to go out and fellowship with people. I want to go backstage and sip on my hot tea before I go sing. Like, you know, it's just one of those things that I've tried to, and it's not like, because it's something that Tanner does. It's because it's something that really God's put on my heart is I want to lead with humility. And, but I also want to, I want to lead with meekness, like not weakness, but meekness. Like I want to know that this isn't about me. This is about our creator. And, and so that's kind of where yeah. like a lot of that comes that's from. Really cool. mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a sort of a question for Mason actually on this one, just because uh-uh. like me and Tanner have both, we have, I feel like we just have a, a bit of a different perspective sometimes going into a worship setting. Um, just given our, our background and playing and stuff like, is that is it ever a thought for you, Mason? Whenever you're, whenever you go to church or whatever it is, of like, like you can see somebody on a worship stage that it seems to you like they're putting on a performance. Is that ever something that crosses your mind, or is that, or do you think that that's something that perhaps a musician is thinking about just for the sake of the position that they're in? No. No, I definitely look at it as like sometimes it is a performance because I guess that's the three in me is like they've achieved, uh, I guess, a level of status where I'm sure they had to compete for that position at a, at some point. And so they're pretty good in their craft to be in that position. And so they may treat it as a performance. And I think a lot of times they're really good at what they do. So I view it as a performance because there's a lot of beauty in it. There's a lot of talent involved. Oh, so and actually you're seeing it as like a positive thing. Yeah, for sure. I think it's really cool That's that interesting. people, I mean, God uses talent in many ways. Yeah. And to be able to, I guess, dual purpose it in that way. I I don't think I gave you the answer you wanted, but. No, I didn't. Ha- I didn't want any particular answer. I was actually just curious. Yeah, I, I guess it, it might be the flesh in me. It's like, that's pretty cool hmm. that they can do that. Interesting. Did you expect that, Tanner? No, but like, I, it makes a lot of sense what he's saying. I, I yeah. think of like um, somebody that's a professional athlete that is a, a strong Christian. Like, you go out there and, you, you know, they, if they have a great round of golf, it's like, man, what a performance. And, you know, mm-hmm. if, and yeah, if so it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. I think it's just, it's all in context. I think you can yeah. make it, there's like self-centered performance and then there's like the performance of a team. And yeah. like, that's, that's language that, um, you know, we try to kind of like set the culture that this is a team. This isn't about one individual. 
this is like a body of people leading, performing yeah. for one specific purpose. So I like what you said. I think it gives you a lot yeah. to think about. It's like, okay, this is a performance, but less of a self-centered performance. Yeah. And, but again, the cool thing is, is like, I think I've been moved in the spirit equally as much on a blast weekend as a 10th grader listening to a band from Aniana as I have listening to Hillsong United. I mean, I've been moved equally and I think that's nothing short of God. I mean, you've got a band that has a lot of, it's a large following and I've been moved equally in a crowd of 40 people from a bunch of high school kids. And so I think God's going to use them each very strongly in those situations. Hmm. Um, what do you think about, I have a question for, uh, for you, Tanner. Um, it has to do with creativity because I've always been curious about whether um, some of the things that you are able to do are just something that you've learned or is it some, or is it something that you're kind of just born with? Because for example, Tanner, uh, if you, if you guys don't know, Tanner designed our logo for the unprepared podcast. And like, if somebody were to ask me to do that, even if I knew how to work Photoshop or whatever, it would probably take me forever to do that. I literally sent him a text and he was like, yeah, sure, man. And like, he mocked it up. Like, what and like it probably took you just a few minutes to just to do that i mean you just and and like i don't know you're just a very creative person but do you think that somebody can learn how to be creative or do you think most of that is just born in i definitely think that you can learn how to be creative um a lot of what i do came out of seeing some something from somebody else and going oh that looks good I don't know how did they did that, but that looks good. And so taking, like, it's. I look at, like, your life as, like, putting together a puzzle. And sometimes, like, the pieces are easier to find than others. Like, if you know, when you're trying to build the border and you're looking for the border pieces, it's like, oh, my gosh, I cannot find another border piece. But then when you're not looking for border pieces, you're like, oh, there's a border piece. So it's like sometimes you just have to uh, – one of our ministers at the church um, – she was talking about your calling and what are you called to, you know, or how do you find your calling? And a lot of people struggle with like, what am I called to? Where am I supposed to be at? And me personally, I don't know how, I don't know how biblical it is. I don't know how theologically sound it is, but I feel like a lot of people waste time on things that they have no business doing because that's not what they're called to. They may not know it then, but even like, like if you try something and you're not successful at it, what, what, you know, what's everybody say? Try again. So you try yeah. again. But if you continue to be unsuccessful at it and you say, well, you know, I just feel like I'm called to this, but you stink at it. Like, I don't think you're <laughs> called to it. I think you're being selfish right. and not being like, I think there's part That's of it. Like common trying, sense knowledge right there. Yeah. Like trying to find your calling, but you also got to know what you're not called to. And right. so, uh, like creativity was just, you, I think you can learn how to be creative but a lot of it is, is just kind of like, I don't know, it's a chord that gets struck with you and it's like, all right, that's good. Or right, let's do this. This is what I yeah. envision. And a lot of it. Well, is, also, also you enjoy it. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's another uh, indication that 
it's something you should probably be doing. Yeah, definitely. Like, I know I'm not called to golf. I stink. <laughs> I get frustrated. Mason, I don't, Same, Mason, brother. I don't think I'm called Same. to golf either. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> just, we're just revel, uh, revelating on a bunch of stuff today. Yeah. For real. Um, As someone who's sitting on the outside bounds of creativity, do you have a creative process? Like, if you were going to sit down and play music or write music or... I don't know, maybe it's your photography. Is there a process that you go through or is it more natural than that? I definitely don't have a process. It's just, it's one of those things where like you could send me your logo, for example. You said, hey man, like I need a logo. And what was it, two weeks before I said, hey guys, uh, I'm working on your logo today. It took me two weeks to even get in that frame of mind. But it wasn't like every day I was like, am I ready to do the podcast logo? It was just one of those things like I knew I knew I needed to do it. I'm like a task-oriented person, so I knew I needed to do it. I didn't have a deadline for it, but I knew when I would like I knew when I needed to do it. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. just one of those days like all right, we need to do olive green. So I started with a olive green like canvas. And I texted you guys, "Hey guys, what color were y'all thinking?" Mm-hmm. First text I get. I was thinking like a olive green. I was like, all right, there we go. Let's roll with it. So it's just one of the, sometimes it happens in a day. Sometimes it takes two weeks. It just depends. Hmm. Uh, well, let's talk about photography for a little bit because there's, I, I'm sure yeah, you know. Yeah, so many questions. Yeah, because like the firstly being the fact that I feel like everybody is a photographer. You know <laughs> what I mean? And it's like. Yeah, true. I, me not being a photographer, it's hard for me to distinguish like what is good photography versus somebody who knows what they're doing. So like kind of at being somebody who I would say is very good at photography, you and Katie are both gifted in that area for sure. Like what's what's something that you could look for like and you can say, "Oh, that person knows what they're doing." You're probably talking to the most least technical group of photographers that there is katie but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you're not talented though well i'm just saying like to to be able to tell like good versus bad Uh, i made a statement on um i cannot can i throw out another podcast yeah Yeah. on on my brother's podcast go check him out on uh Anchor podcast. <laughs> Shouts out my yeah. brother's podcast. But I, I made the statement that there is no such thing as bad music. And uh, Alex kind of gave me some rebuttal on it, but he was he was right. And but I think I was right too. Like it music is subjective, and I think photography is subjective. Like I could take a photo of the corner of this the table I'm sitting at and post it on Instagram, and half of half of the people on there would go, What is this? And then the other half would be like, ooh, art. So it's like hmm. photography is just subjective to me. See, Tan- Tanner throwing out the classic beauties in the eye of the ball. Yeah, that's such an artistic answer. Because Golly, my brain you're such a creative type. My, my brain wants to just be like, no, it has to fit in this box <laughs> or this box. That doesn't work. Like I have to I'm have a definition way. for everything, and that bothers me. Well, I mean, it, it stinks because we live in the generation where you have an iPhone that has t- two cameras and on well what, now what does that new one have like four has four total cameras on it and so you have you're the Apple guy you have lenses and then you've got the app Visco and you're a photographer 
Like I, I make that joke all the time. Like yeah. I got a camera in Visco. I'm a photographer, but like, like this is it's a really like sarcastic comment to make. But at the end of the day, somebody can go out there and grind with a iPhone and Visco and make some money. So it's like mm, yeah. to somebody that's a big deal. Even though yeah. I, to me it's like, man, no, that stinks. But to them, that's they can make a livelihood out of it. So mm. I don't know. I, I definitely gave you an artistic, vague answer, but that's all I have for you. No, no, uh, it's fine. No, I just thought it was funny. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. He looks pained to say that. Yeah. Hmm. We kind of shifted away from the questions that I had. Go for it. You can bring him back. I'd hate to shift I, I saw that you had some questions down. I was leaving it open for you, Mason. Yeah. Well, I asked some of them on the fly, but none of the ones I had written down. Was there a certain point in your life, Tanner, that you felt like you were called to ministry? I know a lot of people talk about the moment where they like look back and say they were definitely called in that moment. Sorry, I muted my mic. Um, yeah, I, so our blast weekend was this like big Disciple Now weekend that we had at our church. Um, it's still one of my favorite weekends. I try to serve as much as I can there. But we had a band come in and a speaker come in. I can't tell you the band name. I can't tell you the speaker name. But I know... That was like the most pivotal moment in my life because it was a group of um, our, our friends. We were staying at this random person's house. And I just remember leaving a service and we were in tears. We come back and, you know, you're ninth graders. You, you stink. You just now learning like proper hygiene. You're all going through these weird, awkward stages. But I just remember like this feeling coming back from that service and we all sat in this living room in just tears and guys started just throwing out their struggles. Guys started just throwing out their concerns. Guys started like encouraging one another. And I made the statement in ninth grade. I said, guys, I, I don't know how to explain it. I don't even know what this means, but I, I know that I am called to dedicate my life to ministry in ninth grade. And there, there were times that I got away from that. It's like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going into the business world or I want to get a job. And, you know, at one point, I'm, Katie and I wanted to move to Canada. So, you know, it's just like I definitely won't say that I yeah. stuck to it. But I knew when the time came, like, you can't say, Lord, I'm dedicating my life to ministry and then back out of it. So mm. I think that in the end of the day, he called me home and here I am. I never, I never dreamed that my ministry would look like full-time in a church. Like I always thought it would be just kind of like in supplement of a full-time job somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. But it's really cool how um, he worked it out. And I definitely, like, and I, I, I say it, I don't, I don't know how long it lasts. I don't know what it means, but, you know, I feel like the Lord works in seasons and you can kind of pick out seasons in your life. I know that I'm in a season. And I don't know if that season is full-time ministry or I don't know if that season is where I'm at, but I just know that I'm in a season with a start and an end. And so it's just, hmm. it's weird to be sensitive to that. Hmm. Yeah. I've always been curious about where, where you're going to end up because I just see you as somebody who's so flexible. You've always been kind of the, probably for the sake of the fact, like you kind of had to be because you had to fill a lot of roles at a young age. And so you kind of learned to adapt and like basically learn how to do whatever you needed to do to fill multiple roles. So you kind of have, you have a, 
heightened ability to just be whoever you need to be, you know, which is really cool. I mean, a lot of people kind of just have like one skill, you know, and they just kind of that's that's what they're good at. But you have a lot, you know what I mean? Mostly in that area of like media and music and I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely in like one yeah. one little area. You get outside of that. At one point, I wanted to be a carpenter, and I tried to build like a, a entertainment cabinet for her basement. And it, <laughs> how that turn like, out? Oh, terrible. So like, I just I know my my area. I need to stay in. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, how is being? Do you feel? Sorry, go ahead. You got it. I was gonna. I was just gonna ask how is being married changed like your perspective on things on your career and like has, has it changed at all yeah it has I mean Katie and I have our relationship is interesting in the fact that we've been together since high school and we've really done life together um now it's not the same as marriage but I'm just saying that like for the longest time we've been together like pretty much all we know about leadership is leading with each other. But it's different when you get married because it's you're no longer leading from like a solo spot, you're leading as a team. And I wouldn't be near where I am today, whether that's good or bad, um, without Katie. Because there are days when I come home and I'm defeated or I'm frustrated and I'm mad and she has to hear the worst and she gets to hear the best. But mm. she's always like a the voice of reason for me, like, you know, if I know when I've talked too much because I, it's just quiet. And I'm like, okay, um, I'm sorry for venting so long, but thank you. <laughs> and like, she knows that the best thing she can say in those moments is nothing. So I think it's incredible to have, you know, not only is she my like partner in life, she's my partner in ministry. And at the end of the day, like I know that like I have somebody that I can lean on that can build you up, but also hold you accountable in those areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now in those moments of struggles, what, what do you feel has been the most unexpected challenges of ministry? Dealing with people. Mm. Man, that was quick. People, people like that are close to the, like, I don't know, the inner circle or people who are like in the congregation. Both. And I mean, the best and the worst part of being at a church is the staff. Um, again, I, like I want to be sensitive and I don't want to, you know, sound like I'm ungrateful. But, you know, there's you leave staff meetings sometimes and unintentionally somebody dumps a lot of work on you or unintentionally somebody says something that's in your area. And you're like, why are you why do you care about that? And, you know, it's just like the overlap of our church is really, really good at um kind of like allowing our ministers to just lead like our senior pastor doesn't like he checks in on our student ministry but at the end of the day like our student pastor has the ability to lead our student ministry and I think there's a really it's a I mean it's the only church I've ever worked at so it's unique to me but um it, you know it's just at the end of the day you've got a room full of 22 leaders that are called by God to lead ministry a ministry and they all have different ideas and you can, you're, we're all trying to get to one spot in 22 different routes. And so that's just the most frustrating thing. It's like, man, it'd be much easier if we could all agree, but wouldn't life be easier if we could all agree? 
Right. Yeah. It's probably more similar to a normal work environment than probably what most people would think in the, just in that aspect of like, you know, uh, people not being on the same page, just typical disagreements that you would have in an office or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Um, I have kind of a more, uh, I have a question that probably has a few layers to it. Um, the, I, I think about the, the, condition of the church a lot like the modern church uh, just where we're at how it evolves the influences of culture on church that kind of thing that's always been really interesting to me um and the balance of where like where is a church just trying to be cool where is a congregation just trying to fit into the culture and how does it balance that with you know being theologically sound you know, I think this is something that the church has dealt with ever since it's been a church. Um, so, like, how do you see, I guess, how do you see the culture changing the modern church today? And, like, it, are some of those changes good and are some of them bad? Yeah, this, uh, I know this podcast is called Unprepared, but I did ask for like a preview of like, hey, like throw me the hardest question you got so I can at least prepare something. <laughs> well, I didn't prepare anything. So well, no, I'm it's fine. I'm it, sticking to the name of the podcast, but that's, um, that's fair. A pastor that I look up to, um, it's one of the greatest leaders of um, our generation and his generation is Pastor Craig Grishel at Life Church in Oklahoma and really all across the middle of the United States, um, pastor of the largest church in the, in the country and in, in, in the world. But um, I heard him talk about culture in the church one time, and it kind of sh- really shifted my, my thinking on it. And he was, yeah, and I, I can't remember everything in context, but he said something to the extent of, you know, if you look throughout Scripture, the church was the center. So like the cities were built around the church. The government was built around the church. And he said, everybody looked to the church for the next step. Everybody looked to the church for the next thing. And we live in a culture that the church looks to culture and says, what's in? What's relevant? What, how, can we, how can we change and monitor, adjust our ministry to fit what culture is going through. And I think, I think the premise of what he was trying to say is how can the church become, you know, turn around and become the center again. Hmm. And I think that kind of just shifted my perspective on it because I was the one with binoculars out going, all right, what can we take from culture to put in church to effectively lead people? And I think now I look at it, it's like, how can church, inject itself into culture to effectively change people. And I think you have to balance, to go back to it, you have to balance the entertainment and performance of a Sunday morning experience with biblical truth, sound theology, you know, and accurate worship uh, as far as like praise and worship. So I don't know. Hmm. I don't know how, how that answers your question or if it does. No, it does. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Like, uh, I, 
for for whatever reason I had I had forgot about the fact that the church was the center of you know it was like like people's four four thoughts and then now it's kind of like a it kind of goes by the wayside and, and culture takes the lead for some reason um that is it is really strange i don't know how we could like flip that around but um i don't know definitely something to think about for sure yeah and i don't think like i think there's a lot i don't know that us in our lifetime will ever see the day where the church is the center again. I pray that I pray that revival starts and it starts in the church and that, you know, the state of the world is determined by the health of the church. But, um, I do think there's a lot that the world could learn from the church. I think of just from an organizational perspective, like I think of church of the Highlands life church, their process to get people plugged in and served in a part of their team is incredible. You go through yeah. a growth track. You go through, you know, you you go through a process to find out where you fit on this yeah. team, this body of the people. Mm-hmm. And there are so many people in life that don't know what their purpose is. They don't know where they need to be because they they don't have, you know, the culture doesn't have a four-step growth track that you can go through to go, okay, I need to be in this community serving these people. So mm-hmm. I think that like, in some way, That's shape, or form, point. like the world needs a way for people near and far to go through a process together. And uh, so I don't know. I they sort of find themselves. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, we know that Jesus, the gospel isn't not everybody. There will be people that die and go to hell because they don't know who Jesus is and they don't believe that the gospel is the message of hope that we know it is. So, I, you know, not, I'm not naive enough to think that everybody in the world should know Jesus and love Jesus and get saved. But I, I am confident enough in the world to think that the church can change how we view, like, people. Hmm. That's a good thought. Mm-hmm. Dang. So, can uh, I, do I have the ability to ask a question to you guys? Absolutely. I feel like I've talked a lot, so I apologize for that. But Well, so we've asked you a lot of questions. To be sentimental about this podcast, the first episode, um, we were celebrating a housewarming for a friend, and um, you guys had just posted your first episode, and it was just like, you know, but Katie and I listened to it through the in and out. No, well, it's not in and out. What's the place... In and out in like West Coast, uh, bro. You spent too much time in like he's wearing his West LA Coast. hat. <laughs> yeah. Talking about in and out, cookout, cookout. Oh yeah. So we cookout. were in the cookout. We we're we we're stopping to get a milkshake. So say we're we're in the drive-through at cookout. What are you ordering? Oh man. Um, um, I, first, I would mm. I would spend too much time looking at the menu because the freaking menu at cookout <laughs> is just <laughs> too extensive. No, nah. nah, you get like. The Cajun chicken sandwich is grilled, a side of beef quesadilla, and maybe a side of fries or hush puppies. I mean, do we get a milkshake? Not every time. Oh, no. I've never had a milkshake from cooking. Yeah, surprise, Tanner. I don't get a milkshake. All right, we're, we're going. We're going unprepared getting, on the road. I'm probably, getting, both I'm probably getting two hamburgers, two cheeseburgers. You got from my cookout because I don't really. Care you got our fries. actual order. Damn. 
Okay. I just, it, that was, that was sentimental for me. Cause like the first time we listened to the podcast was in the cookout drive through. So I just had to know. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you listened. I'm, I'm sure you enjoyed the 10 minutes of it that you listened to. That's not true. We listen. Have you ever been to the cookout in Birmingham? It takes like 35 Like minutes. I said, I listened to the whole podcast in the cookout drive through Oh, shoot. It doesn't surprise oh, me. Gracious. That line takes forever. What's the worst drive through Like, what's the worst fast food experience, customer service-wise? Cookout in Birmingham. You Skip. think that's worse than, like, Taco Bell as a whole? Customer service, customer service no, but speed at which you get through the drive-through i absolutely believe it hmm. i i guess i just haven't been to cookout that often well uh hmm. customer service it's got to be a taco bell somewhere yeah i mean overall it has to be taco bell but anyways we've, so had, we've had some crazy experiences in waffle house um it's not fast food but it's closed oh, oh my shoot gosh. waffle house Waffle House got some bad times. I feel like everybody has a crazy memory or two at Waffle House. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody's got Waffle House stories. <laughs> I feel like... Tanner, what's your worst one? <laughs> we had a uh, spin... Dang, quick on the draw. We were recording yeah. a single, Open Gate to Wait single, throwback to our old band. <laughs> OGA. And we were doing it at... Uh, uh, and late at night, we was like, all right, we got to go gotta go to waffle house it's tradition and i got uh kissed on the cheek multiple times by the the waitress and no it was the Mm. was it the waitress or was it just a drunk lady in the restaurant (laughs) oh gosh no it was uh oh shoot i actually can't remember i thought i always thought it was a waitress it it may have been but i just remember one of our friends was talking in a russian accent the whole time and so the lady thought he was from Russia, yeah. and we were taking him out to experience American food. And then she just started kissing all of Who us on the it? cheek. It was Zach Hardiman, and his his, really? his Russian accent is incredible. But oh, dude, huh. I thought he was Russian for a minute. I know. <laughs> <laughs> What's the most embarrassing thing that has ever happened to you, or that you've ever done on the stage? I feel like you could probably tell this story. No, I could, but I want you to tell it. So early on in my worship leading days, he's already shaking his head like he he doesn't want to tell the story. I well, it's just it it still gives me the the cringies. But um uh, it, Jamin was our student pastor at the time and he it was like the song right before he was going to speak and for weeks I'm talking weeks I had been praying God, I just pray that you would do a 360 in these kids' lives. God, I just pray that you'd do a 360 in these kids' lives. First off, I'm a kid saying these kids. And, and second, if they do a 360, they're going the exact same way they, they were going. And finally, <laughs> finally somebody has the courage to say, hey, Tanner, we're really praying that these kids do a 180 in their life. Man. And I just remember feeling oh, man. I was so embarrassed. Oh, man. But I didn't catch it either. I mean, in the moment, it sounds good, like you want to turn your life around. But right. you just kind of make sure that your geometry is correct and you're turning 180. And then yeah, the other the other embarrassing memory is we had a worship night, and I'd ordered custom guitar picks with our OGA mm-hmm. logo. 
Mm-hmm. And one of the songs, like it was like upbeat, you know, we're jumping around and trying to get the students to have a bunch of energy. Why well, we had the picks on stage for us to use. This is so bad. And the downbeat hit and I was feeling it, man. And I turned around and I grabbed a handful of those picks that we worked so hard to get. And I threw them at our <laughs> students. But I didn't toss them. I Sandy Koufaxed it into the front row. <laughs> and I was Mason, pe- had you not heard that before? I have never heard that story. Was, there were kids. I, I think kids lost their eyeball that night because I had thrown guitar picks at their face. And Jamin. Oh, he like chunked them. And it wasn't like I, I, in the moment, I was just feeling it, man. Our God is love. Yeah. You know, I'm throwing these picks. But right. Jamin, man, he, he lit a fire under me after the service. Man. Yeah, he wasn't too happy Isn't about it, that. I mean, granted, you've been playing music and recording since you were a ninth grader, but isn't there a recording somewhere of your voice cracking? Multiple. <laughs> if you had a recording of our service I think I have one on my tonight, computer, actually. <laughs> What'd you say? I said if you had a recording of our service tonight, you would hear a voice crack. Uh, <laughs> it's probably because your uh, voice is naturally deeper than a lot of the keys that you end up having to sing in. You had to like learn to stretch it up that high. Yeah. Over the over the years, overuse. <laughs> overuse. Well, we kind of got on a lighthearted kick there, but I do have another question, and it's the typical. At what is there a moment in your life where you have felt the most unprepared, or a season? Mm. Marriage. Mm. Mm. One word. Like Amen to that. I feel like that's a that's a cliche answer but it's a real answer um what were you so what was was the most unprepared feeling about that katie and i both had never lived on our own so we were both leaving our parents house to a house that we purchased and so you go from paying like i would pay like my insurance and you know my day-to-day spending like my parents weren't buying my groceries and you know stuff like that but you know when you a mortgage is mortgage different. is different when you when you like the air on sixty eight when you sleep well Alabama Power likes the bills that you're gonna run up <laughs> like, you know it's just like True. learning those things and you know you can call you know whoever to help you but at the end of the day it falls on you and that's your name on the deed that's your name on the bills and and then like so like the responsibility aspect of maintaining and um, you know taking care of a home but also just like learning how to live with another person that you've never had to do before that is a lady. It's a girl. Hey, on that, you, I mean, you've been... <laughs> that's a Girls lady. are weird. You've been, lead, you've been leading for a long time. Do you feel like you were prepared to lead a wife? In, I mean, in some aspects, yes. I've had, you know, an incredible amount of men that have invested in me and invested in um, mine and Katie's relationship over the years, but no amount of investment can prepare you for when the front door shuts and it's like night one, that's not the honeymoon. It's like, so I don't leave and you don't leave. Like we're in this together. (laughs) So you work through, you work through the good and the bad and the, it is strange. I have habits that drive her crazy and she has the same. So like, it's just, you just, 
Hmm. It goes back to what's the hardest part of ministry is dealing with people. Yeah. Man. Hmm. True. I'll second that. The, I mean, I don't know how you get, well, I mean, maybe having a kid would probably be the next most unprepared thing. But being married or getting married is the most unprepared feeling I've ever had by far. I think the best advice I ever got was that you're not going to be prepared, really. Yeah. Because nothing, because like you said, like nothing can prepare you for, you know, <laughs> basically the responsibility of leading, you know, a family, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, there, there's not a, a real world simulation for that. No. Mason, how are, real how are you feeling? I mean, I'm pumped about Congratu- it. First oh. off, congratulations oh. on yours and Krista's Thank engagement. Thank you. Thank you. I was more excited about three and a half minutes ago before y'all started talking about it. But <laughs> no, I mean, I'm pretty jazzed about it. You're unprepared, but sometimes being unprepared is thrilling. Like it's oh, spontaneous. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. You're gonna be peachy. unprepared. Is is a feeling of comfort for me these days. I've come to embrace. I mean, I've said it in every podcast we've recorded. There's not a season of life that I've walked into that I've been prepared for. So I feel at home when I feel unprepared. As a matter of fact, when I got to my senior year of college, thinking I had life figured out and thinking I was prepared, I got derailed. So I never want to feel prepared again, if that's the case. Dang, that's kind of heavy, actually. Yeah, I kind of embraced the whole, I mean, I'm not asking for a lot of bad cards in life, but you got to take life in stride, and I think that's exciting, is just seeing kind of what you're dealt, and it's all about how you respond, and I think that's fun. That's good. But as far as marriage, I'm pumped. We're starting marriage counseling. Um, We're going through a questionnaire right now. We're each doing it individually. And she was talking about it at dinner tonight, how she was crying, answered some, answering some of the questions. And it's just so comical to see the differences in our ability to, I guess, put our emotions out there. Which is crazy because how long have you guys been together? <sighs> Pushing 10 years. It's crazy. Jeez. I know. And That's it, wild. It, it puts her at a level of discomfort still to express her emotions to me. Dang. Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting when you realize, like, even though you've known her for so long, how many things you don't know about her just for the sake, for the fact that you, you know, haven't lived with her. I think you're going to be shocked. I mean, I no, I'm not like, saying it in a bad way at all. I'm just saying, like, you know, Tanner can attest to this. Like, you, t- because Tanner and Katie f- were together for how long before y'all got married? Uh, seven years? Eight years? Seven years? Yeah, something. <laughs> a long time. Quickly cut his Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven. And, like, I mean, I'm sure you quickly learned things about Katie that you were like, oh, didn't know about that about you, you know, <laughs> before. <laughs> like, you just, it's just the way it is, you know? It's It's really yeah. cool, though. I don't anticipate any fatal flaws, but I'm sure there will be a lot of surprises. Yeah. Alex, what was yours and Rose's first married fight? Um, I mean, it was probably on the honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> really? No, I mean, like, not for real fight. Like, we, 
I mean, I'm sure we had where some kind of argument over like where we were gonna eat or actually Getting I to do the remember on time. I, I I do remember what it was. We were in we were lucky enough to go to Italy on our honeymoon, which was dope. And uh, she's the type to like run around and just see everything everywhere, like all the time. And every minute that we spend relaxing is a minute wasted. And I'm the other way around, so I wanted to chill and relax, and she wanted to go run around and see, I don't remember, it was one of the fountains or something. <laughs> and I was like, you know what, Rosa? I'm not going to be mad about it. Go for it. Tear out. And I, and I, I literally sat there for 15 minutes, and she went and, got, went and looked at something and came back. That was our first argument, I think. Our first marriage argument. She'll probably yeah, think awesome. of something else, and, and she'll correct me after she listens to this, but... What about yours? Well, if she makes it this far, she is a dedicated listener. Like I feel like we've, I mean, you got to yeah. stick with us for this one. But yeah. uh, mine and Katie's. Um, so you know you have like the sink bowl, like when like in a like a guest bathroom or just a bathroom, you got like the vanity and then the sink bowl. Yeah. Well, there's a yeah. rim that goes like when it gets flat on the countertop. There's like a rim out around the bowl. Where do you put the soap? Like the hand soap? On the rim. On the outside. Like Okay. There we go. You right? you y'all just had Katie and I's first argument. I believe it goes on the outside. <laughs> I can't believe that we split the difference it's, just then. You, you proved our point. Katie was a firm believer of inside the rim. I was a firm believer it goes in the corner, the flat part in the corner. Well, yeah, that's what I thought. Well, I we, thought we all knew that, Mason. We fought tooth and nail for no, weeks about no. where this soap goes. And oh, I'd like, I, I'm happy to admit that I came out on top, but <laughs> it was not easy to get to that result. Uh, and the soap still stands there to this day. It does. That's funny. Well, that's awesome. Um, Mason, did you have any other questions you wanted to ask before we wrap it up? Uh, no. Um, I won't keep you any longer, Tanner. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, you're uh, a guy that I've looked looked up to for as long as I can remember. You're a guy that I know, even if I haven't seen you since I last got married. Why did I say that? Like, like as if oh, was, man. you know what I mean? Well, I just Why can't wait I for the next like time that? you do. So, yeah, I can't wait till the next you, wedding. Yeah, bro. till the next one. I haven't seen you since October, but I feel like if I called you tomorrow, it would be the same as if I saw you every day you know you're just that kind of guy so um yeah appreciate you coming on dude well thank you guys i you know you two are definitely like two of my highest people of influence in my life and i appreciate you both so much um mason you've always been the the wisdom and the kind of the voice of reason in any situation i feel like you have a really level head and um Alex, the same with you, man. Like, like you said, you can call me at any time, or I can call you, you know, in reverse, and life is just going to pick up where we, where we left it. But um, yep. you know, I just I want to encourage you to like keep doing this because I think it's important to see, like, you talk about the good parts in life, but you also talk about the struggles, and I think the struggles are just yeah. as important because mm-hmm. we're all going to face struggles whether we like it or not. And sometimes like that can dominate a conversation, but it's also the way you can process and move on. So the unprepared Mm -hmm. podcast is 
it's needed for guys. So if you're Man. if you're a first That's time huge, listener, dude. you keep on listening. <laughs> Man. Huge praise. Tanner. Huge praise for my boy. All right. I'm gonna call it right there. That was episode seven of Unprepared. We'll see you guys on the next one. Thanks, Tanner. <laughs>